0: let's head into the sermon for today. We are going to be concluding our three-part series that we've been doing on the threefold office of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And we looked at how Jesus fulfills those anointed leadership roles. And we also talked about the last two weeks, and we'll talk about it again today, how we as his followers also have a prophetic priestly and kingly or regal calling in our own lives because we share in jesus anointing as his followers john wesley who is the father of methodism he linked the three offices to the fullness of salvation he said this he said having made atonement jesus the priest now intercedes for us in our struggle with remaining transgression as prophet He restores our knowledge of the will of God, which enables us to overcome the power of sin. And as victorious king, he graciously commands a law for us to obey. And then he reigns in us until finally we surrender everything to him. We're distant from God, but Jesus is our mediator. That's his priestly work. We're alienated from God and we're ignorant of God. But Jesus proclaims and is the truth. That's his prophetic work. But we also find in our hearts appetites and desires for sin. And Jesus comes to reign and subdue all things to himself. That's his kingly work or his regal work. And so Jesus satisfies our deepest longings or our deepest hungers for guidance through his prophetic work, for care, through his priestly work, but also for protection through his kingly work. And in him, we are called to that prophetic task of gospel proclamation. We're called to a priestly task of presence to people, a ministry of presence, of service and care for others. And we're also called to the regal task of fighting against sin in our lives and leading with righteousness and compassion and hope. And so today I want to focus on Jesus' work as the king, Jesus as the high king, what that means for us and how we live out our own regal calling. The Old Testament prophets, of course, announced a coming true king. And I want to look at two passages this morning. The first passage is Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. And this is uh, God's promise to David of a messianic king that would come through his line. Second Samuel chapter Seven, twelve to sixteen. This is uh, speaking to David, King David. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him, the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. This is a key passage in sort of the history of salvation. King David comes to a point in his life where he uh, expresses a desire to build a house for god a a temple place for worship and god turns it around and says actually i'm going to build you a house david i'm going to establish a dynasty or a legacy through your your lineage and that will be a house of david an eternal throne and through your lineage i'm going to work out my salvation purposes isaiah 55 verse 3 summarizes this promise to David this way. it says, "Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live, I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And even though David's descendants would often fail in that calling, there's kind of a near completion of it. so you get you get the story following David's line uh, following the kings of Israel to see, well, who's actually going to pull this off and be a good king? And most of them fail utterly. And that just reinforces in Israel this this recognition of we need we need the true son of David to come, we need the real King to show up. We can't do this on our own. And when Jesus arrives, the the New Testament authors realize he is fulfilling this ancient promise. This is uh, I want to read the second passage from Zechariah chapter nine, nine and ten of how Jesus fulfills this promise to David. Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Again, this is the hope of long last. The king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Of course, this is what the people realize when Jesus shows up at the triumphant entry in the Gospels, right? That he's fulfilling this call as the king of the Jews. What they think the king should do is another question, right? But they recognize he's coming as the king. And not just a king for Israel, but Isaiah also says he'll speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So there's this sense that this isn't just a local geographical king. But this is the true king through whom God is going to bring and establish his reign over all creation. There's more going on than just someone to rule in Jerusalem. It's someone who's going to establish God's kingdom and authority and rule over his wayward creation. He's a global ruler. Jesus' claims to kingship are pretty clear. He fulfills, like I said when we looked at the Second Samuel passage, He's fulfilling ancient prophecies. He fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies uh, as God's promise to King David. But many reject Jesus as the king. And you see this throughout the Gospels, right? Few of, few of the people really perceive who he is. Actually, it's so interesting in Luke. It's the blind man who sees who Jesus really is. It's just this great moment of reversal in the Gospels where the people who can physically see are spiritually blind, and the blind man who can't see is the one who actually gets what's going on. It's this great moment. The blind man says, Jesus, son of David, right? And that's, that's him uh, pointing to that kingly covenant role. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's honoring Jesus as king. Many despise the kings- kingship of Jesus, of course, and that, that comes to the fullness at the crucifixion. When the Roman soldiers mock him with the purple robe and the crown of thorns, and and a detail we sometimes forget is a scepter of straw they put in his hand, and a sarcastic hail, King of the Jews, and at his death the people actually mock Jesus as king, but they also mock him as a prophet, prophesy who hit you, right, and they also mock him as a priest. He saved others, but he can't save himself. And so they mock him in the fullness of his threefold office. And yet it's here as the king faces a bloody death and the rejection of his people, as he's laying down his life, that he receives his crown. I remember when we talked, uh, when we were preaching through the gospel of John a few years ago, and at a few moments you get in John's gospel is is when, there's a couple times it's brought up, is when is Jesus going to reveal his glory? There's a few times. There's the time at at the wedding in Cana where Mary asks Jesus to do something about the wine issue, and Jesus says, "Well, it's not my time." Um, then he goes and does it anyway. But then later on, there's another there's another moment where Jesus is saying, "Well, it's not yet my time to reveal myself of the sort of king I really am, of what I've actually come to do." And it's not until later that we realize John is pointing constantly to the crucifixion. If you want to know who Jesus really is, this is his glory. It's not him routing out Rome on a war horse. He's come to make his fullness of identity known at the moment of crucifixion where he's lifted up, not to be, not to be crowned king on a throne, but lifted up and crowned with thorns on a cross. And as he's raised bloody and dying... Jesus, the king, is enthroned, which is why we can say he reigns from the tree. This is how much the king loves you, as he'll die for you. This is the king we serve. And of course, in Christ's glorious resurrection, as we look forward to Christ's second coming, we'll see, again, the promised king, this time wearing the white robe and the golden crown that he deserves, whose light fills the fullness of the city and all creation. This is the king fully revealed. And so he's the true king for us today, but he's the king who reigns uh, in a way that is sometimes difficult for us because he's the king who will give his life for the kingdom. Sometimes we want a king who won't give his life for the kingdom because if we follow a king who gives his life for the kingdom, you know what that means. We need to be willing as his disciples to lay down our lives as well. And that's a difficult thing to learn how to die, right? To take up your cross and follow me. So what does it mean for us to share in his kingship? We've talked about our ministry as prophets. We've talked about our calling as a community of priests. What's it mean uh, to be sort of kings and queens or to fulfill that regal calling? I think the first thing to say is that we are stewards under Jesus. Jesus is still the high king, but we are entrusted with various responsibilities in our own lives, and we're called to steward those well. If you have any sort of leadership role If you have any sort of position of authority, you are called to do that in a way that honors the character of King Jesus. Now, you may say, I don't have people working under me, Um, but you may have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, uh, people in your life that you have an influence in. I won't say an influence over. Some of us have an influence over. Some of you may not. But you may have an influence in other people's lives. And and we need to watch our character to live that influence out in a way that honors who Jesus is, so they see Jesus in the way that we live. And any of us that have a, a position of leadership in, say, in a workplace or in a church or something, we are also called to account that our character reflects Jesus in what we say and do. And that's a high calling. I mean, that's a we're going to fail at that, right? <laughs> we're, we're not always going to do that well. But that's, that's what we strive for. God appoints leaders in various roles, and we're called to exercise that authority well uh, in a way that brings, brings God's goodness and shalom and his blessing uh, in that area that we've been called to serve in. And again, we, we're, we might remember that the king we serve uh, is the one who exercises his power for the cause of the weak. Jesus is often so aware of those that are in need and seeks them out to care for them in his priestly work. But even as a king, he's caring for the, for the least of these, we might say. And so in whatever area you might have influence or power or authority, and you may not really seem to think, I don't really have much of that at all, but you, you do have a measure of it in one really, really important way. Even if you don't have kids at home or you don't, you know, have people under you in a workplace, you are in charge of your own life. And so the primary place that you have influence and authority and a position of power to do something is in your own life decisions. You're responsible for what you do with yourself. Right? You are. It's on you. It's on me. What you're going to do in the morning with yourself, right? That's on you. You might think it's someone else forcing you to do something. But it's, it's, it's you. you. We have a decision. We have a choice of how we're going to live our lives, right? And we need to accept that responsibility to, uh, I won't say manage, but to lead ourselves well. To choose to direct our lives in a way that honors and pleases God. And because that is the way that actually is the most fulfilling and most joyful way to live, actually is to live in the freedom that Christ has given us. And so to to pursue a meaningful and good and happy life is to pursue the life that God has given you. That's the answer to that question. How do I live a life of purpose and meaning, uh, of significance, is to pursue what Jesus has for you and therefore to order your life in such a way that you are uh, in tune with what God is saying and doing in your life. Perhaps practicing various disciplines like prayer and whatnot so that you are making space to hear God. And so, uh, perhaps in the most important way, we exercise that regal role, that kingly role, by ordering our own lives well. Maybe before, we should say that first before we talk about the influence we have on others. Let's get our own, uh, let's get our own houses in order, right? Before we start telling others how to order their bedrooms, so to speak. But we need to care for uh, our own decisions, I like that in sort of the, the historical treatments of the threefold office, often what they talk about when it comes to this kingly role or regal role in the Christian's life is the battle against sin. And I don't know if we talk about that a whole lot, but we really should. The battle we face against sin, the, the decisions that we face daily to resist temptation, uh, to bring our our own passions, our own wills under the kingship of Jesus. That reminds me of two things when, when we're talking about, about resisting sin. The first is the reality of evil. Uh, when I was doing a pastoral care class at Regent, uh, the professor, um, who was just a really great guy, just kind of nice just thinking about him. He's just so lovely. Um, but he talked about going through a very difficult season of depression, and uh, he, had, he was away. He was just, it was just really, really rough. It was a really bad, bad time. And, uh, and he was on some sort of retreat. I can't remember exactly where it was. I think it was, a, it was a monastery of some kind, some kind of retreat center, right? And there was people around that you could talk to who could counsel you and, and whatnot. And one of them was this, was this dear uh, Catholic lady. I think she was a nun. I think he was at some sort of retreat center, right? And, uh, and he was telling her about what was going on in, her, in his life. And and some of the difficulties he was facing, and 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 she reminded him. She said, "Oh, you Protestants," she said something like, "You don't realize uh, the reality of evil." And and I mean, it wasn't related to his depression. It was related to other things he was working through. But just this this sense that it, my sin, there's sin that I'm facing, but there's also an enemy who is trying to seek and kill and destroy. There's real evil in the world, and there's real evil that people really do, that they are really responsible for. That's not just satanic. Um, I mean, it's satanic in the sense that it's evil, but it's not just sort of a demon possession thing. There's people that do terrible things who do, e- who do evil. It's actual evil. It's not just a slip-up. It's not just a mistake. It's real evil. And we need, under the kingship of Jesus, to order our lives that we resist sin... And stand firm in temptation, but also resist the allures of evil. When evil comes its way, that we stand firm in the face of that and speak the truth. Uh, The other uh, other thing that I was reminded of when I was thinking about uh, fighting sin and resisting temptations and bringing our our passions and our minds and our wills under Jesus' rule, um, I'm working right now on on another class for this Eston College Online on the book of James, And James talks about when we sin, resisting sin, but he doesn't talk about Satan tempting us, though that's true. He talks about our own inward, uh, like the devices and the desires of our hearts that lure us away. And James makes makes a point in the first chapter that often it's not something out there pulling me away from God. It's something in here. It's a nature within myself that's the problem that I need to surrender over to Jesus. I can't just say all the time, well, that temptation's over there. That temptation's over there. No, no, there's a brokenness in me that can seek to be in rebellion against the king. And I need to, I need to submit that under Jesus and, uh, and hold myself to account uh, for him. That's what I say about bringing our, our passions and our minds and our desires under the rule of Jesus. And that means being, being aware enough for us to reflect on what's going on in our own hearts and to be able to stop at times and step back and go, what is going on in me? Like, I'm really angry or I don't care if I'm giving into this sin. What's happening? And to be able to step back enough and go, Lord, something's going on in my heart. And I don't even know what it is, but I need, I need to submit to you. And, of course, I need to seek out a friend or, or a pastor or someone to help me walk through this. But we need to be self-aware, folks, of, what, of the reality of evil, of the reality of temptation, of the reality of sin, and the, the slipperiness of our own hearts to justify some of the things we do that are not of God. And we need to, with, with love and patience, and grace even towards ourselves for the times we fall to ask Jesus to lead and guide us in this way as we seek to order our lives under him as our king. Does that make sense? Uh, so there's, a, there's a, a need for us to be reflective in our own hearts. I want to I wanna finish off with some thoughts on Christ in his threefold office just as we wrap up this three-part series. And I just want to say, take a moment again to talk to ministry leaders, anyone in Christian leadership, and I'm drawing on Philip Rikens' work here. He says, anyone who has a sacred calling to lead should desire to see all three offices fully integrated in one person and thus to be more Christ-like. And Richard Mao puts it this way. He says, the ability to discern the concerns and the desires and the fears and hopes in others. That's the priestly. The capacity to shape and articulate a vision and goals for people, that is Prophetic. The ability to effectively facilitate movement from one to the other, that's the ruling or kingly function. And so for myself as a pastor, those three help me to even to articulate my own calling, the calling to, to as faithfully as possible to teach and to preach the word, uh, as faithfully as possible to care for you and to intercede for you as the congregation and also to exercise to the best of my ability uh, wise and godly leadership. Um, And so that's the threefold part in my work. But all of us need to uh, exercise our prophetic calling of proclaiming the word, a priestly calling of caring for others, and the kingly calling of submitting ourselves and our, our own passions and desires under the king. There can also be a problem, I think, in our churches when there's an imbalance of these three. And so a priestly imbalance would be a, a, an imbalance where we care a lot about the people, but we have no vision of where we're going, and even if we did, we wouldn't know how to get there, right? There's no prophetic vision, and there's no kingly understanding of how to help move people in that direction. Now, some of you maybe work for organizations that are like this, where there's an imbalance, uh, we, or where, you know, we care about the people, but we don't have a hot clue where we're going. And even if we did, we have no idea how to make any changes, but, you know, you're good, we're friends, okay, well, that's good. But the whole thing's falling apart, right? Like it's we're leaking money at the bottom, right? Uh, it's just, it's not healthy. Now, there could be another imbalance in the prophetic. If there's a prophetic imbalance, we have a vision of where we need to go. But again, there's no kingly or regal understanding of how to facilitate change. And there's no priestly understanding of where the people are at. So you could say, guys, as a church, we need to move in this direction. But I, I'm... i but. And we could push that, but imagine I'm just so ignorant of all of you. I have no idea where anyone's at. I've decided we're going to launch a building project. You're like in the middle of COVID, you know, completely duh. We're going to add on another 300 square feet or, you know, huge. 300 square feet's not huge. You know, some huge thing. That would be very inappropriate, especially at this time. Um, And and, and no idea of how to actually get there. Just we're going to do it, right? No plan. Because we're going to do it. And you probably know some employers who are like this. This is a thing we're doing. And the person goes, yeah, well, how are you going to go there? I have no idea how we're going to go there. But we're going to do it. Yeah, great, right? All the practical people on the ground are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it makes no sense. And all the idealists are like, woohoo, let's go, right? There's also a regal imbalance that can happen where we, we, uh, we think we know what to do. But again, we don't understand the needs of others. And we have no real vision of what's going on. And so without a strong prophetic gift, the church can just kind of drift away in her mission. Without a strong priestly gift where we care for people, we can become really legalistic and rigid. That's not good. And without a strong kingly gift, all sorts of problems can fester and and no change can happen because we don't know kind of the practical on the ground steps to make things happen. And I just want to say as a church, um, I feel like, we've been really blessed by a variety of leaders, thinking about the board and our elders who together help to keep us steady in this. We have some in leaders who are very much lean into that priestly role of caring for others and it's awesome, right? They're just warm and loving and beautiful people. And then you've got others who are, you know, they're they're kind enough in their own way, but they are very good at seeing the problems on the ground and very good at, at seeing potential dangers and helping helping the board or the elders navigate those. They're really good in that kind of kingly role. And then you've got others who are just really visionary. And and, and they're not necessarily the best people persons, but they have, can have a really keen sense of where we need to go. And you need all three of those. And any good kind of organization or even business or even in your own family, you need all three of those. You need to have a sense of where the people are at, where you're going, and you also need to know how to get there. And so I'm I'm... I'm glad that we have clear vision and goals and we preach the word. I'm glad that we exercise a ministry of presence, that we care for each other. And I'm also glad that we have good leadership. We've got kind of clear doctrinal boundaries. We have a wise handling of resources and finances. We've, we've got strategic priorities and all that stuff, right? Um, the idea, though, is we can't do all three perfectly. Like, even in our own lives, we won't do all three perfectly. And what I love about that is it makes us have to come back to Jesus. There will be times in my life where I will fail as a leader or in my care of people or in my preaching of the word. And that should serve as a reminder that in my own failings and struggles, there's a profound need to be fully dependent on Jesus at all times. That he is the only one who can fully and completely fulfill that threefold office. As much as I am called to live a part of that, it's at the end of the day, I need to surrender to him as he proclaims God's word to us, and he reconciles us to God, and he rules and protects us. And so we need him every day. We need him in his prophetic work to speak his word and to shape our lives. We need him in his priestly work to calm our fears, to hear our prayers, to know our hopes. And we need him in his kingly work to defend us, to provide for us, and to guide us in our decisions and so as we move to pray, my, my question for us uh, as, as the good king is, where in our lives do we need to surrender afresh to him? Is there an area that is not under the lordship of Jesus that we need to uh, give to him? And is there an area in your life where you do have a measure of authority or influence, even if that's just in your own self, that you need to step up and actually actually lead yourself well in. So let's pray uh, and turn to God, knowing that we are weak, we will fail, but he is good and strong and loving, and we can trust in him uh, and rest in the assurance of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's pray together. Lord, today we thank you for the privilege of gathering together as your people we thank you for your word and we thank you today that you are king, that you're on the throne, that you're in control, God, uh, that, that you protect us and keep us. We think even in this season with COVID and uh, other issues going on in our world, we thank you that you are keeping us. We thank you for the peace that we enjoy here. We thank you for the health that we have here. We thank you for the work that we have, even if there's uncertainty in various areas. Lord, we thank you for the the prosperity and the blessing that we can enjoy. And we pray, Jesus, that you would help us as your followers to steward our lives well as we seek to live uh, under your rule, under your authority. Help us to live this out, God. Lord, we pray for those in need in our community today. We think of of those in the hospital, those who are at home who are sick, those who, who can't come for various health reasons and otherwise. Lord, we pray blessing upon them. Think of those who are grieving today. Lord, we pray your peace upon each one. Lord, we know that it's only in you that we can live in safety. We pray you'd keep our nation under your care, Lord, that you'd guide us in the way of justice and truth. Lord, we pray that you would make your name known upon the earth. Lord, that you would look after the needy and the poor. Lord, that you would create clean hearts in us and that you would sustain us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you that you brought us safely to the beginning of this week. And we pray you'd continue to defend us by your power. Lord, we trust in your defense, Lord. We pray you'd keep us from sin, that you would guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that, all, uh, that in all we would do, that we would seek to honor and glorify you. Lord, in all our cares in life, all of the, the things we set our hands to, all of our work and occupations, God, we want to please you and live uh, proclaiming your character, God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We thank you for creating us and keeping us. Thank you for all the blessings we enjoy in this life. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for the immeasurable love that you've shown in the redemption of the world uh, at the cross. Lord, for the forgiveness of sins and for the new life that we experience through your Holy Spirit. Lord, for the hope we have for glory and life to come, we give you thanks. Lord, bless your people today. Thank you for this time of worship and learning and reflecting on your word and encountering you. God, would you fill us up with grace and hope and peace that as we head into this week, uh, we would shine a light for you in the darkness. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, would you stand and I'll send you off with the benediction. And uh, if, you, if you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you need to get rolling, I understand that. and Bless you as you go. Receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know the goodness of the King who loves you and gave his life for you. And may you lead in your own life in a way that reflects his character and his goodness. May you know his protection, and his covering, and his grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you all. Good to see you. Have a great week.